Please take a seat. And please grab a Bible and turn to 1 John. So we're on 1 John chapter 5, and it's verses 5 to 13 we're looking at this evening, and it's page 1,161, if you're using the Bible in the chairs. 1 John chapter 5, and from verse 5 it says this. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater, because it is the testimony of God which he has given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So, Father, as we think about this passage, as we study it, as we explore the themes in it, we ask that you would help us to understand it better and help us to apply it as we leave this place and as we seek to follow you. Amen. So we are almost at the end of 1 John. So tonight is the penultimate sermon. And then we'll have a a couple of weeks after next week of looking at 2 John and then 3 John, which are a bit shorter than than 1 John. And so this evening I want to talk about the idea of testimony, the idea of of testimony. And uh, this reading this evening comes in two sections. And so the first section is the testimony of three witnesses about Jesus. And then the second part is the testimony that leads to life. So the testimony of three witnesses about Jesus and then the testimony that leads to life. So if we are talking about testimony, it's helpful to know what a testimony is. One definition puts it like this. In the law, testimony is a form of evidence that is obtained from a witness who makes a solemn statement or declaration of fact. Testimony may be oral or written and it is usually made by oath or affirmation under penalty of perjury. So according to this understanding of testimony, a testimony is about being a witness to an event. And if you ask anyone who has been the victim of a crime, they will tell you how important a witness is. I have once. Um, I was walking down a street in London when I was surrounded by three guys who decided they would quite like my mobile phone. Um, Maybe it's a sign you should never go down south, but... I wouldn't I I dare to go down that kind of north-south divide route. 
But, of course, no one in this particular event was witness to the event. Therefore, I lost my mobile, and it has never been seen since. Now, as uh, John has already discussed in his letter, uh, John is, is very concerned about the, the physical life, death, and resurrection of, of Jesus, because this is central to John's understanding of the gospel. It is not some kind of floaty spiritual idea that Jesus came uh, actually being physical and physically was walking around and physically died on the cross. And so the the idea for John that Jesus didn't physically die is completely uh, out of the question. And there's this group of people within the church who were suggesting that that Jesus didn't really die on the cross but um, kind of just escaped at the last minute or something like that. But for John, this is nonsense. And so what John is trying to do is he's trying to prove that Jesus really did come in human form, that Jesus really did die, that Jesus really was resurrected. And so John draws on the Old Testament tradition of the idea of witnesses to testify to the reality that this actually happens to Jesus. And so if you turn in your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 19 and verse 15... And it's page 189, if you're using the Bible in front of you. Deuteronomy, chapter 19, verse 15, page 189. And it says, One witness is not enough to convict anyone accused of any crime or offence they, they may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So the Old Testament law is concerned about the false witnesses, about false witnesses who, who would wrongly accuse other people. And so to guard against this, there had to be two or preferably uh, three uh, witnesses. And so what this Old Testament law is about, it's, it's a deeply practical law that's it's about building a just society. Because any society is sick if people within it will uh, lie deliberately in order to uh, inflict harm on other people. And if the Lord is a God of truth, then uh, he does not deceive us in any way. We have to believe everything that he says. And therefore, um, the word of those who belong to this covenant, to God's people, in this case to God's Jewish people, um, then their word must also be reliable, their word must also be trustworthy. And so in the same way, we can rely on the testimony that is about Jesus. So if you turn back to 1 John, and chapter 5, I'm going to read verse 6 to 8. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood and the three are in agreement. So John is saying that we can believe in this divine human person of Jesus because of this testimony, because of the testimony of uh, water, of blood, and of spirit, which then begs the question, what does the water and the blood represent? Well, having read a few different ideas, um, I think the most convincing one is this, that water symbolizes the baptism of Jesus, so it begins his, his ministry as he goes off and, and does all the things that we read about in the Gospels, and then the blood 
marks the death of Jesus. So it, it marks the end of his earthly ministry. In other words, it kind of bookends all that Jesus was about. So it's, it's a way of saying this is inclusive of everything that Jesus did on earth. Everything was real, everything was physical. So why is this so important to us? Well, I think it's important to us because this testimony is not some kind of uh, abstract idea. This testimony is about a journey. It's about a journey. So if if you read uh, 11 to 13, and this is the testimony, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So this testimony brings life. This testimony means that we can journey from death to life. This journey means that we can have life. Now in the Christian world, um, a testimony is about an individual story. It's about how you've been impacted by God. It's about telling your story. It's about um, what experiences have you had. How can you tell other people, share your journey of faith? How has God impacted you? And we can testify to the reality of Jesus, of his baptism and his death, and of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That is our personal testimony. It's a witness to that testimony that John was so keen to make sure was real and true and that this church believed in. Now, whenever we talk about testimonies, personally, this is what comes to my mind, maybe it says something about me, um, I quite often think of, you know, the kind of Pentecostal preachers who shout, testify! Anybody else? Obviously not, just me, okay. Never mind. (laughs) Uh, Nothing to do with my sermon. But um, You see, for John, the gospel leads to life. Whoever has the Son has life. And putting our faith and trust uh, in the life and death of Jesus leads for us to life. It leads to life for us. Now, if you were to ask somebody on the street, you were to leave here and ask somebody, um, does becoming a Christian lead to life? Does becoming a Christian lead to life? I wonder how kind of the average person on the street might respond. Well, I think most people would associate being a Christian probably with being very boring and very serious. A kind of holier-than-thou figure, a kind of Ned Flanders, a kind of wearing socks and sandals kind of person. Do you know what I mean? And for me, this raises the question of, hold on, if, if John says that putting our trust in Christ leads to life, anybody wearing socks and sandals? <laughs> I shouldn't ask that. Um, <laughs> why, why is it that being a Christian hasn't, doesn't kind of immediately um, in people's minds lead to the idea of life, of a full life a life that is exciting a life of passion, a life of adventure, a life of joy a life of fulfillment because I think that's exactly what, what John is trying to get at now of course this doesn't mean necessarily that our life has to be kind of done at 100 miles an hour or that life is always going to be amazing because we have to live with the kind of day-to-day reality of what it means to be a Christian. But Jesus says in chapter 10 of John, 
in his gospel. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it in abundance. That's what the Christian life is all about. Now, if you were here this morning, you would have uh, experienced a service full of life. And um, I'm sure there were, well, I know there were many friends and family there of those who were being confirmed and baptized. And hopefully, some of those people would have been experienced, would have been surprised at the experience that they received, this service that was full of life. And I think our Archbishop was certainly on top form this morning. But the reality of life also means alongside that is the fact that there would have been people there this morning who would have been going through unspeakable pain and um, unspeakable suffering in their life. And so life, this idea of, of life isn't just about kind of jumping up and down to really fast songs. It's also about having hope through suffering. It's having trust despite the reality of life. And if we are called to witness to the impact of Christ in our everyday lives. We are called to show his impact, not just in the good times, but also in the difficult times. And if we are called to witness to the reality of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we cannot pick and choose exactly when we're going to be witnesses to, uh, to that reality. Because we are just as much a witness, whether we are uh, doing our shopping Uh, as whether we are giving out food to those in need or whether we are inviting our friend on our next Alpha course. We witness with the whole of our life to everything that Christ offers. And by John saying water and blood, baptism and death, he is saying everything that Jesus was and is. And And so believers in everything that Jesus was and is, and so as as Christians who believed in everything that Jesus was and is, we receive the significance of all that Jesus was and is. And so we witness, therefore, to everything that Jesus was and is. If there is one thing that strangers say to my wife, to Sarah, more than anything else, it is this. You look like that vicar off of the telly. And they are talking about Kate Botley, who is on Gogglebox. Um, we've seen Gogglebox. No, okay. Some people have seen <laughs> Gogglebox. Um, if you haven't seen Gogglebox, go and watch it. It's very funny. Basically, it's people watching the telly. It's recording people watching the telly and their reactions. And, anyway. and incidentally, Kate Botley was asked to be on this program because uh, she did a, a dancing flash mob at a wedding, and the producer saw that and then thought, oh, this is the sort of person I want on my TV program. And that's the kind of world that we live in right now, whether you like it or not. (laughs) But here's the thing, that that people make judgments about you and notice things about you. You are a witness whether you like it or not. Whether that is uh, as an ordained person who has a very public role, and so when Sarah walks into a shop or whatever, they see the little, you know, bit of plastic, and then immediately they make judgments about her and go, oh look, that kind of reminds me of this other person. And people often talk to Sarah about what she wears, because she often wears kind of quite bright colours and um, you know, more flamboyant dresses than the average vicar. Um, <laughs> and they often say that she doesn't look like a normal vicar, whatever 
that means. Somebody actually once said to her in the bank, said, um, <laughs> said oh, if more vicars looked like you, I'd go to church. <laughs> and she said, well, it's just down there. <laughs> if you want to come along. <laughs> I've never been to church, by the way. <laughs> but. but this isn't necessarily just about whether you are ordained or not, whether you're a, a public Christian. This is about living the life of a Christian and uh, that when we live our life, if people know that we are a Christian, they will see us in action, whatever we are doing. And it's very possible to, to hide the fact that you are a Christian. You don't have to tell your work colleagues, you don't have to tell your neighbours that you are a Christian. But if you do, then their expectations of you will change. And people will soon let you know whether they like what you've done or not, whether they agree with what you've done or not. Or maybe that's, maybe that's a public thing, maybe they will tell you, maybe they'll say that that's not very Christian in their opinion, or maybe they will just hold that judgment to themselves. But whatever it is, we are witnesses to Christ in all of our life, in everything that we do. But it's also possible that... Um, that you can be a Christian and yet never tell the story. You can be a witness and yet never tell the story. So last week at Sarah's ordination, when she was ordained priest, the, uh, the dean of York Minster was preaching and she was saying how lots of people have a good will towards the church. And this is very true. So whether it's because of things like food bank whether it's because of the active presence that the church has in a particular community, whether it's because people think that the church holds together a community or because the church holds to particular values, or if you're talking about closing down the church in a village and then those people who have never been to the church in years soon rise up and give money to the church to keep it open. Um, there is sometimes something about just the church that people like to get behind even if they have never attended. People have a goodwill towards a church. Have you heard of the Sunday Assembly? It's, um, a kind of, it's a kind of church for atheists, in the sense that it, it gathers people together and does a lot of the things that church does, but it isn't about God. So they like to sing songs and kind of have times of reflection and that kind of stuff and builds that, the, the good things that they see in church but without the belief in, in God. And they, they describe themselves like this, that the Sunday Assembly is a global secular congregation that meets locally to hear great talks, sing songs and generally celebrate life. So they do lots of the same things that church does just without the belief. Now one of the, the co-founders of this um, is a guy called Sanderson Jones and he decided one Sunday that he would go and visit some of the churches in London and he said this on Twitter and so this is when he was tweeting about this church that he was in and he said uh, in two weeks time they're not having a service because they are helping at the local housing estate love that go Jesus people hashtag atheist in church You see, this is the kind of story that I think is really positive about the church because people 
see people, see the church in action, wanting to make a difference, wanting to bless certain uh, communities. And they're really, really important. Because it's what we're called to do as Christians, as, as followers of Jesus, but also not everybody has a goodwill towards the church. And so by the church doing this kind of stuff, it, it shows those who live around the particular church that actually the church is a good thing and we are witnessing to the goodness of Christ. But then there is the other side of this. So I was listening to a sermon online recently and the preacher uh, quoted a survey of what people associated with Christianity in this country. And these are the words, the three, the top three words that people thought of when they thought of the church. Hypocritical, judgmental, and anti-gay. Well done, church. Because I think we actually need to face the reality of what people really think about the church and what people really think about Christianity. Because we need to turn that around. Because if if this idea that John is talking about, if he's talking about life, if he's talking about this life that is responded to the witness of who Jesus is, that therefore impacts us as we live our life, if life looks like anything, it does not look like hypocritical, judgmental, and anti-gay. But whether we have the, the kind of the one side of the goodwill stories that people have towards the church, or whether you have the people who think the church is a very negative thing, there is still something that we are called to do. So Vivian, the, the Dean of York Minster, as I was saying about her sermon on Sunday, was saying that it's possible to have uh, the goodwill, which um, you can validly argue uh, is this witnessing. Um, you can share these, these good things, the kind of food bank and that kind of stuff. But you can also do that without ever telling the story, never talking about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, the church isn't called to go and bash people over the head with the story and forget about the, the things of goodwill, the, you know, the food banks and the blessing the community and that kind of stuff. But the reasons for people having a good feeling towards the church in itself isn't enough because goodwill doesn't change lives. The story of Jesus Christ changes lives. So we as a church need to tell the story. If ever there was a living example of people living out the reality of witnessing, it's the persecuted church, who, despite all that is against them, they continue to witness to who Jesus was and who Jesus is. And we could quite easily spend a very long time telling stories about the persecuted church, their stories of, of boldness, their stories of bravery, of some of the most, um, within some of the most horrific circumstances in the world. But what matters here is that despite their suffering, despite their afflictions, they continue to witness to who Jesus is. And so as we think about witnessing, this evening we are left with a few challenges, I think. And it's this. Firstly, have we grasped the significance of the witness to who Jesus is? Have we grasped the significance of the witness to who Jesus is? In other words, do we get why John is concerned that Jesus came physically on earth and was physically crucified? And then for ourselves, does this understanding lead to life? 
Does it lead to life? Does it lead to life in our own personal day-by-day lives? But then for others, as we live out our everyday lives, does our daily life witness to others? Does our daily life witness to others? So have we grasped the significance of the witness of who Jesus is? Does it lead to life for ourselves? And then as we live out our daily lives, does our life witness to others? Amen.